Hello and welcome to the Homebrew Magic Podcast. I'm Nelson, and I've got Schnell and Teach back again with me this week. Yo. You know, when we had the idea for the show, I was trying to come up with different topics that would make for a good series start, but also be interesting enough to build from in the future, whether that be listener input or ideas uh, we came up with and decided to use. This week, we're going to take a look at the cards that make up our personal top 10 cards from Magic. Um, I know I don't have mine in any particular order. Um, Schnell, I don't think, does. Tej might. I shuffled um, them real hard. <laughs> random, random, random. Um, but... So before we get too far, I just want to say the list that we have are not necessarily what we think are the top 10 best cards in the history of Magic. Um, rather, we when we talked about it, it was, hey, let's pick 10 cards that really resonate with us that we love for whatever reason, be it art, you know, how powerful the card is, um, or if it's just a complete piece of shit and we think it's funny. Um, <laughs> you know, because... Top ten lists can be fun, but they can also be really aggravating. Um, I pick six there's... different planes. Is that okay? <laughs> That's totally fine, as long as one is snow covered. Otherwise, GTFO, man. God damn it. Because <laughs> uh... um, top ten lists are so subjective. So what some people might think, you know, good, bad, indifferent, whatever, is not necessarily going to be what someone else thinks it. So you can make lists and debate them till the end of time. Um, this probably won't be. It is technically the first list we've done on the show, but it probably won't be the last. Um, so, like I said, what we did this week, uh, we came up with a list of our top ten cards and the reasons why we included them on our list. Uh, you know, we hope you guys have as much fun listening to this discussion as we did coming up with the cards, um, and as we will have with the discussion that we've got coming up and talking about for you. Um, if you guys enjoy it, drop us a line in the comments or shoot us an email again to homebrewmagicmke at gmail.com or jump onto our Facebook community at Homebrew Magic. You can also find us on Instagram at Homebrew Magic. So f- please feel free to post your own list there and tag us. Um, you know, pictures, deck lists, w- uh, or I should say top 10 card lists, you know, um, post it there and, and tag us. Uh, if we get a large enough response, we'll make sure we have an, an audience top 10 episode too. Uh, either as like an addendum where we do a shorter kind of thing um or we could dedicate an entire episode uh to different audience lists which could be a ton of fun all right so let's get into our own personal lists uh i'm going to start things off and the the first card that i have on my list is royal assassin so royal assassin um it's a black creature he is if he was in a tribe it would be assassins um he's a one one for three which is uh one generic mana and two black mana and you can tap him to destroy target tapped creature um royal assassin was the first card that came to mind uh the original artwork on it uh is tom creepy tom wintergrand wintergrand i can't really the card quality is not that great so maybe i should have done a little more research before we did this um anyway that original artwork with the creepy old guy with the eye patch and the glinting knife hanging outside the bar where there's a silhouette of some dude just getting hammered off martinis um is artwork that has stuck with me since i first started playing magic um our play group again i started playing at the park with a bunch of my friends uh when i was a kid like i said in the last episode um this was one of like the cards that nobody wanted to play against um Nelson? yeah tom wannerstrand wannerstrand god yes. i was way off thank yeah. you for doing the, that the a the a in his name has the little like german umlau or the little double dots ah okay and it's so blurring s- into the the bubbles on yep. the so i'm yeah. assuming it's supposed to be yelled wannerstrand <laughs> yes 
Like all Herr, good Herr Wannerstrand. <laughs> like all good German names, including my own. You are supposed to yell it. I remember my <laughs> first doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for uh, checking that out. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, so back then there was different kinds of creature removal, but not as robust as it is now. Um, you know, you could terror something, but that's target non-black creature. So you couldn't even terror the assassin. Uh, you could assassinate the assassin with another one. Um, but it's too you know, meta. It, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> no one was that cool. Um, but it was just like, that was one way of kind of locking your opponents, uh, from tapping, their creatures whether they were going to attack them for an ability um you know like a prodigal sorcerer uh or you know if they were tapping them to attack or you know whatever they were doing um so that is that's the first card on my list um that is one of my absolute personal favorite magic cards of all time i would say it's probably top two um and it kind of rotates between one and uh different one down my list that i'll i'll get into later so, uh, Chanel, you go next. What's what's the first card on your list? First card in my stack of top ten cards that I've shuffled here is <laughs> Merfolk Looter out of Exodus. It is a summon Merfolk for one blue, one generic. It is a power and toughness one one, and it has the ability to tap to draw a card, then discard or choose and discard a card. Uh, I added this one to my list because trying to think of a top 10 list my my focus was what are the cards that first come to mind i've been playing for a hell of a long time what are my favorite cards what are my earliest memories of the game cards what are the important ones to me uh this card is important to me and memorable to me because a it's a solid ability it's just a common but drawing a card and pitching a card became super useful especially in uh with with Exodus coming out just before the Urza block, uh, Urza Saga had um, Exhum. Oh, yeah. So the ability to draw a card and then choose and pitch a, you know, giant Phyrexian artifact creature, <clears throat> pitching that thing and then exhuming it on the next turn in a blue-black deck was just fantastic. Uh, so it was useful in-game, and it helped teach me some of the interactions between like, oh, why would I ever want to discard cards? Well, there's graveyard interaction and recursion and stuff you can do. Also, uh, this Merfolk Looter art is by Ron Spencer, who is my absolute favorite magic illustrator. All of his work, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bust out my my arts history background and my arts degree here. <laughs> he has a very it's pronounced it's an a crochet. It's a French term meaning like flayed. Uh, but that art style is is what really lets you know this is a ron spencer drawing you can see musculature well defined you can see st- a skeletal structure of people uh on the merfolk looter you can tell that it is his style of merfolk just because the insane amount of detail he puts on every square inch of the merfolk and the dead body in the water that this looter is just stealing a necklace off of it looks like it's been floating down here and tangled up in the re- in the seaweed for you know a couple of days and he just you know portrays that so well i love ron spencer did he did a bunch of slivers too right uh he did a ton of slivers he is known for his squirrel art which is also uh um, yeah sneaking ahead to one of the other cards in my pile here i have another card that may or may not have made the list just for being some of my favorite ron spencer art so <laughs> merfolk looter one one for two 
tap to draw a card, then choose and discard a card. Well, like you said, it's, you know, super, super efficient. It's it's cheap. It's useful. There's a ton of fun interaction with it. And sweet art. And merfolk. And there's a ton of merfolk synergy. So True. Lord of Atlantis says hello. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Tej, what do you got? All right. Well, when we were first given this assignment... I kind of went in a slightly different direction, I think, than everyone else did. Um, I picked... uh, All of my cards come uh, from... They they have meaning to me based on certain points in my magic career. Uh, Each one holds some sort of significance to me, and there's a little tiny story attached to each and every one of them. Um... I'm one of those players, unfortunately, that doesn't always focus on the art. I'm one of those players that just reads the card, and I like a card based on what it says, not necessarily what it looks like. (laughs) Uh, I've grown to appreciate art after the fact, and sometimes I will look at a piece of art and I'll be like, I've never seen this card before in my life. Oh, wait. I have, it's just not it's just an art I don't recognize. Oh wait, I'm playing it in standard, whoops. <laughs> exactly. When you say um, reading the card, do you mean um, what the card does, or are you including flavor text in that as well? No, I'm just reading what the card does. I don't remember okay, who said it. because flavor text uh, sometimes is absolutely fantastic too. Oh, Again, yes. when we get back to that oh. Ron Spencer card, the, the flavor text is a highlight as well. We should have a, maybe we'll have to in the future do a uh, flavor text episode like just going <laughs> reading just random you know maybe like oddball art and flavor texts um that'd be fun because that would that could be a ton of fun anyway yeah. sorry i didn't mean to cut you off oh teeth. that's all right that's all right um also in addition to uh uh that i have organized my list from my number one card down to my 19th favorite card that's right, I've got a top 19. Jesus. But don't worry, it'll all make sense soon. Like, very soon. <laughs> you so got without, it. Further ado, for without further ado, I'm going to start <laughs> with my 19th favorite card. <laughs> it is Kaldatha Phoenix. Kaldatha Phoenix is from the Scars of Mirrodin set. Uh, it is a 4-4 creature phoenix for 2 and 3 red. Kaldatha Phoenix has Flying in Haste, and it has a Metalcraft ability. Metalcraft oh, was a... Oh, man, yeah. Yes, Metalcraft was a, a an ability word that had to do... You would get something cool as long as you controlled three or more artifacts. And Kaldatha Phoenix's ability is a uh, pay four mana, and you can return Kaldatha Phoenix from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate this ability only during your upkeep, and only if you control three or more artifacts. So it's a standard ability you see on most Phoenix, where you can do something and bring them out of the graveyard and put them onto the battlefield, because flavor. Because that's what Phoenixes (laughs) do. They do, yes. So here's why this card is important to me. Um, Scars of Mirrodin was uh, the first set where I really started focusing on gameplay and getting better at the game and trying to have a hand in a little bit of competitiveness and i played my first my first pre-release after i moved to madison which is a slightly more competitive place to play magic than manitowoc is um this was the first pre-release there 
so I sat down for my pre-release and I got my packs and I opened them up. Uh, one of the packs I opened up had this Kaldotha Phoenix in it. And I was like, all right, that's pretty cool. Flying is good and, and limited. Haste is good and limited. Uh, but then I flicked one more card through the pack, and behind the Kaldotha Phoenix was a foil Kaldotha Phoenix. Nice. nice. In the same pack. So I decided to play red that pre-release. I went 3-1 and one that pre-release. <laughs> People couldn't get over the fact that not only could I return this phoenix from the graveyard to the battlefield for 4 generic mana, but as soon as they kill one, I drop down a second one. <laughs> and now they have two to deal with. And as soon as you have two of these things on the battlefield, people don't last very long. Uh, and I felt uh, I felt like a big man that day with my two <laughs> called off the phoenixes. I thought it was cool that I opened up two in one pack. That's always fun to do. Um, and that's always stuck with me. It's just, it was a feel-good moment, right, for a, a semi-fledgling magic player to pull off some sort of that, some sort of achievement was unlocked that day, <laughs> and I was proud of myself. I think I've only ever pulled uh, a rare and then a foil copy of the same thing once, and I opened a pack of Iconic Masters, and I pulled a Bloodgast, and behind the Bloodgast was a foil Bloodgast. Nice. Which is pretty do cool. that, Iconic yeah. Masters is a good set to do it in. Yeah. It, 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 your odds are definitely better in a Masters set uh, than they are in a, a full-blown expansion set. That's true. That's true. Um, but at least you opened... You, you did that and, and, you know, opened two money cards. Today, Cold Off Phoenix is worth 19 cents. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, hey, uh, think of it as an investment in your emotional past. Or I don't know. <laughs> it was. <laughs> your emotional. You can sell that card and put it towards therapy, I think is what he's getting at. <laughs> uh, yeah, something like that. Um, nice. All right. Anything else you want to say about it. that bad boy? Uh, no, that's no. it. That's my uh, Phoenix story. All right. Uh, the next card on my list uh, has been reprinted probably more times i mean definitely as many um if not more times as royal assassin and that is uh lana war elves um it's the original ramp card <laughs> um another you know one of the reasons I, I picked this um is is the original art uh it's the the all white you know albino elf with the i don't know if that's pink hair or just part of his helmet um on his head the the sweet eye patch the grimace on his face and it's just a profile it's not a it's not a full-on shot it's a you know you're getting him from the side it's the artwork is is just awesome um (laughs) anson maddox illustrated a ton of early magic cards and i don't think there's art from him that i don't love um so you're gonna figure out real quick as i go through my list that part of what got certain cards um and a decent number of them on my list is remembering them from when i started playing and art that has stuck with me um now granted this is also a very useful card um it's a one one for one green land tap it to add a a green land to your mana pool um and of course if you're playing with one of the original copies uh it also tells you to play this ability as an interrupt um (laughs) that's not printed anymore um but basically that was the old way of saying you know you can use this to help you cast an instant or um you know uh in response to something that's going on um but you know every every green deck um 
you know, elves or not, back in the day, and and even today, the majority of them are going to run Lana War elves just because they're so useful. Um, if you get if you get those on turn one, or if you play one on turn one, then on turn two, if you have another land to play, you've already got three land on your second turn, and you're able to really get pieces moving um, quickly. So, you know, just mana dorks that are one drop and and go um, are, are, are very useful. This is a card. You know, there are other cool um, versions of the art for it, but the, the original Lanawar Elves um, is just some kick-ass art and and i love that card so that's number number two again in no particular order on, I, on my I list do need you to highlight the flavor text please ah yes uh hardened by their life in the uh. haunted lana war forest these fierce beings are outcasts among dwarf kind or oh sorry oh my god what the hell i can't what elven kind okay <laughs> my computer's too far away from me as i'm trying to lean into my microphone and uh. I, I slipped into D there for a second thinking you're you know you're the door for the group um <laughs> thank you <laughs> they thank are you. outcasts among elven kind which not, which edition which edition are you reading from uh this is the uh i believe it's the revised edition okay oh no sorry fourth edition okay i my, did not see the my copyright f- my favorite printing though uh the sixth edition flavor text it still has the original art uh-huh are you familiar with that one uh no do you have it in front of you? One bone broken for every twig snapped oh, yes. underfoot. Lanawar, right. The Lanawar penalty for trespassing. <laughs> That's that right. That's good flavor text. I oh, love that. That's way better. It's so than... good because it's a little mana dork and he's like, I'm going to snap all your bones. Like, <laughs> well, you're you a 1-1, one, one, f- dude. <laughs> but you look at that face and you're like, God, he just might do it. Yeah. Also, is he wearing lipstick or... Ah... <laughs> uh, <laughs> just... It I mean, might just be the blood is. of his enemies. That's true. All the bones he snapped and yeah, sucked yeah. the marrow from. <laughs> <laughs> just to really take it up a level. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my number two on my list. Uh, Chanel, what do you got? Um, I have, as printed in Cons of Tarkir, Dragons of Tarkir, Shadows of Her Innistrad, and Amonkhet, Tormenting Voice. Good card. Tormenting Voice is one red, one generic, sorcery. As an, as an additional cost to cast Tormenting Voice, discard a card to draw two cards. This is another one that I really, really like for its utility. Yeah. Um, I picked it because I've played it every single time it's ever been in standard, and I've had any amount of red. Card draw, even at the expense of having to discard something, this is good because you can replace cards in your hand red never has just straight up good card draw or tutors or anything like that so this one has been always a good staple to have in various forms of standard uh the other reason why i really like it is especially the cons of tarkir to dragons of tarkir printing the art it's sarkhan in the first printing and he's like going insane, and you I can love see. That art. It's so yeah, good, and you can see the outline of Ugin like whispering in his ears, because Ugin is the reason why Sarkon the Mad was the Mad. It was him like calling out, like, "Hey, I'm dying. You should help." He's like, "I'm trying to go grocery shopping." <laughs> no, no, but really, dude, send help. <laughs> I've been dying for a thousand years. Yeah, and you won't shut up about it. <laughs> so I it's heard him you the first go- time. 
<laughs> yes, yeah, so it's him going mad because of Ugin calling out to him. And then we go to Fate Reforged, and he goes back in time and he saves Ugin finally to give him to shut up. And then we get back to Dragons of Tarkir with the altered timeline, and then the art is Ugin, and he's being tormented by uh, Nicol Bolas. So it's just that like mirrored style of art where it's just like, well, God damn it, <laughs> is this what I've been doing to people? Like, <laughs> <laughs> payback's a bitch. Yeah, yeah. A mocking laughter echoed in Ugin's mind. How many centuries had he slumbered, stricken, while Nicol Bolas moved unchallenged among the plains? A lot, because you toss and turn in your goddamn sleep. It's like a scene from Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> Just no. Ugin in that crater going, Ah! <laughs> for no, a thousand uh, years <laughs> a bunch of them are in prison and they and they oh when he stabs off. it yes yes that is the, that is coming and stab him <laughs> but when the guy comes in to kill him they're gone and he sits down on their bed and he's got his knife and he's like i wonder what this feels like yep. he just pokes himself in the arm and like ow is this is what this i've been, what doing, I've been to doing to people <laughs> i deserve to be in here i'm a monster <laughs> Yes, that is what I was quoting. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Tormenting Voice, at uh, again, Sorcery Speed, it's a great red utility spell. Uh, I think it has a place in the uh, Hollow One modern deck right now, which relies on just you pitching and cycling through as many cards as possible. Yeah. I think it runs Sounds a place right. out of those. I haven't I haven't built the Ahala one. I've helped customers build it in the past, though, so I've seen a lot of those go through. But it's another one that it's been reprinted a couple of times, and I play it every single time it's been reprinted. So, Tormenting Voice. Go out Tormenting and get yours voice. today. Tej, you're number two. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, get ready, kids. You're in for a lot of words here. Oh, God. Uh, moving on from my 19th favorite card, <laughs> we're going to jump right into 17, uh, 18 and 17. I'm going to do as one unit here, and I'll explain why. Uh, we are going to start with Warp World. Oh, God, I know. Originally printed in Ravnica City of Guilds, Warp World is a sorcery for 5 and 3 red, 8 mana total. Here's what it does. Each player shuffles all permanents he or she owns into his or her library, then reveals that many cards from the top of his or her library. Each player puts all artifact, creature, and land cards revealed this way into play, then puts all enchantment cards revealed this way into play, then puts the rest on the bottom of his or her library in any order. Uh, Warp World was reprinted in Magic 2010, Alongside my uh, number seventeen card, Hive Mind. Yep. <laughs> which is which is a which is an enchantment for five and a blue six mana. And Hive Mind says, whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell, each other player copies that spell. Each of those players may choose new cop new targets for his or her copy. So, uh, my very first, I shouldn't say my very first, uh, but one of the first standard decks that I built, and I was super proud of, was a deck, was a deck built around Warp World and Hive Mind. The idea was to play Warp World with Hive Mind on the battlefield, so me and my opponent both shuffle everything we have into our decks, 
and just reset the board. Uh, however, um, I played green in this deck. This was a teamer deck. It was green and red and blue. So I was playing cards like Nest Invader, which enter the battlefield with a token that not only can I sacrifice for mana, which helps me ramp up to these extraordinary mana costs I need to pull this off, <laughs> uh, but token counts as a permanent you shuffle in there and adds to that count. So the more cards that I play that put out tokens, the more permanents I have, and I have more permanents than my opponent does. The idea is to... Uh, get more than one hive mind out on the battlefield and cast a warp world. Uh, so then warp world gets cast like three or four times because my opponent copies it. Uh, and then every single time I'm flipping up more permanents because permanents are entering the battlefield and creating tokens and my opponent is losing permanents because they're not playing tokens like I am. So my board keeps getting built up, their board keeps dwindling down, and eventually, I'm putting out cards like Bargain Hellkite, which deals <laughs> five damage when it enters the battlefield. So on a good day, I'm ca I cast I pay for Warp World once, cast it like seven or eight times, and just hit him in the face with Bargain Hellkite over and over and over. <laughs> Jesus! I remember playing against a Cawblade deck. This was oh. back when Cawblade was a thing, uh, and Rounds that was the deck. Block, yeah. Yes, that was the deck to beat. Jace the Mind Sculptor, uh, and I don't even remember what the Callblade bird is. I just look at it and call it Callblade. Um, Squadron, Squadron Hawk. Hawk. That's what it was, Squadron Hawk. Uh, and it was like, well, what are you going to do? I'm playing Callblade. <laughs> I'm playing Warp World and Hive Mind. <laughs> I win somehow. I'm playing hot, explosive garbage. What are you playing? <laughs> and you know what else is great? You know what else is great? Hive Mind is a natural protection against counter spells. Because yeah. if they try to counter something while I have Hive Mind on the battlefield, the Hive Mind trigger goes off first, and I get to copy their counter spell, and I can counter their counter. And I still get to go off with what I was doing. <laughs> Suck it, nerd. That deck wasn't very good, but my god, was it one of the funnest decks I've ever played in my entire life. Uh, Warp World and Hive Mind. Uh, so that's my 18 and 17 card. <laughs> I like it. And I like good the story times. that goes with it. Oh, yes. Nelson, you're up. I am. Uh, number three on my list is uh, another card that's been reprinted time and time and time again, and that is Sengar Vampire. Um, this, again, I'm looking at, uh, you know, revised, unlimited, fourth edition um, art. It's, again, Anson Maddox, and it's, again, a side profile um, of the creature. I'm wondering if he wasn't in a lot of prison lineups or something, that all his art is drawn this way. Um, oh, mugshots. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Sanger Vampire, uh, obviously, is a vampire. He's a 4-4 flyer um, for 5 mana, 3 generic, and 2 black. And um, every time that a creature is put into the graveyard, the same play... Uh, the same turn Sanger Vampire dealt damage to it, he gets a plus one, plus one counter. Um, so not only is he evasive uh, because he has flying, he also starts out at 4-4, uh, four, four, which is pretty awesome. Uh, decent, you know, solid power and toughness. And uh, he, every time he kills something smaller than him, um, you know, use him as a chump blocker against 
you know, something small if you can, um, especially, you know, white weenie or whatever you're playing against, um, you can just keep beefing them up and beefing them up. Um, so I, I've always, since I started playing, I've always liked vampires. I love to play black is my favorite color, color to play and vampires are my favorite, uh, creature type, uh, tribe, you know, whatever, um, to play. This is the original, uh, this is the OG vampire, uh, if you will. Um, and I've, I've loved it since i first started playing it it was a card that the first time i saw it i wanted it um i've collected them ever since the art unfortunately has changed for the worse much <laughs> like royal assassin now just looks absolutely stupid uh so does singer vampire i do have to say um the new singer um i want to say uh is it katsaroff is that the dominaria singer uh, that uh, art's badass, okay. but um, it's a oh god, whatever. I'll look it up when someone else is going, and I'll, I'll bring it back up. Um, okay. okay, it just popped into my head now. Um, he's cool, but a lot of the other, you know, some of the other vampire art sucks. Uh, namely, the second generation Singer Vampire and beyond. Um, but yeah, it's just a badass card. Uh, you know, there are certainly better cards uh, than Singer Vampire out there. Um, however, for the original art. Um, from when the game first started i don't think there is a whole lot that rivals the art um you know just the completely bald all white vampire with the blood his tongue out and curled and the blood streaking across his face um and the giant i don't know what kind of a plant or something. it's a vein it's right veins. it's a veins right <laughs> um which are it's a it's a person plant it's obviously the he's size of the vampire. The um, he, yeah. yeah, there you go. Uh, he's hanging out with the killer clowns from outer space, you know, spinning people up in uh, cotton candy. and. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, Singer Vampire, that's my number three. Um, I'm going to figure out what the hell that card from Dominaria is that I'm talking about. And, Schnell, you go ahead. Okay. Uh, for my number three, we are going back to Stronghold, the set that I got started in. This card made my top 10 list because this card was in the very first deck I ever got to play. Uh, I, of course, am talking about the monstrous powerhouse Wall of Razors. Wall of Razors is a 4-1 wall for one red and one colorless, and it has first strike. So, as a, as a defender... It's not chump blocking. It is flat out murdering almost everything your <laughs> opponents are dumb enough to send at your impenetrable wall of spinning murder blades. The art I love because it's a bunch of columns decorated with like these skeletal bladed figures, and this dude is walking forth with or walking forward with like a javelin, and the end of the javelin is just being destroyed by like these spinning uh, katana blade things. And the guy looks so shocked, like, oh, crap. Uh, there's no way in hell I'm ever getting through this. <laughs> and has, yeah, like, who does this to their walls? But the flavor text is, in this blessed structure, let the very walls baptize themselves in the blood of intruders. And that is from the Stronghold Architects Journal. <laughs> <laughs> I love weird, macabre flavor text that's attributed to no one in particular, but the Stronghold Architect had a journal <laughs> where he's talking about these walls are going to bathe themselves in the blood of idiots. This card was so much fun to drop out, especially because that deck went 
Turn one mountain, drop a, ra a raging goblin, swing for one because he has haste. Turn two, drop the wall of razors, and then laugh at my opponent for the next several turns as he can't retaliate after my goblin stabbed him in the eye, and he's just sitting there trying to figure out how to get past my death wall. Oh, it's such a good card. Uh, thank you, Michael Sutfin, for the shocked dude with the splintered javelin. Or <laughs> the spear thing he's got, but uh, no, that one I I kind of want to go back and just rebuild my very first magic deck ever that was given to me because it was wall of razors, raging goblins, nothing but mountains, and uh, some other weird crap like um, mob justice. Oh, mob it was justice. all it was all about just dumb, quick, angry red creatures, and then swift mob justice for the win. I've often thought about doing that with my Warworld deck. <laughs> Just going back and rebuilding it. I still have uh, most of the Warworlds and Hive Minds. I've got all the Hive Minds. Yeah. Yeah. Hive Minds actually worth a couple bucks. I should have looked at what that was worth. It is. It is. So, uh, Teach. But, yeah. What is hey, your... Before you go, Teach. Katsarov, yeah, yes. Senger, Pure Blood. That's the vampire from Dominaria I'm thinking of. It's bulk rare, but man, that art is badass. Because he looks like Nosferatu with hair. Um, <laughs> he just It's a really cool art. Anyway, Katsarov, Sanger, oh. Pure Blood. I'm not crazy. That's what I was thinking of. Uh, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. I looked him up. Oh, he's got like a he's got a body that he's like holding behind him because you can see he's holding up a forearm. Yeah, it's so badass. Cool. Uh, anyway, uh, back anyway. to Teach. <laughs> All right, excuse me. And your massive list. Yes. <laughs> we're up to uh, number 45 on Tej's top 10 guards. We're up to 16. <laughs> 16 through 7. Oh, here we go. A run of oh, nine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now that's doing it right. That is doing it right. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm going to talk about 10 cards now. Not 10 individual cards, just a cycle of cards. Okay, okay. Uh, this is going to be the... Uh, Filterland cycle from oh. Shattermore and Eventide. I have my money on Guildgates. Not Guildgates. <laughs> no. Um, there are ten lands that all have similar abilities, one for each color pair. Each one of these lands can tap for one colorless. And I'm just going to use Mystic Gate as the example, but you can substitute your two favorite colors, and yes, there's a land that's going to do this same exact thing. Uh, Mystic Gate taps for one colorless mana, or you can pay one white or one blue, it's a little hybrid symbol, and tap Mystic Gate, and you can add two white, one white, and one blue, or two blue to your mana pool. So basically, if you have one white, but you need two blue to play that counterspell, you can tap your one white and your Mystic Gate, and turn that one white into two blue mana, and play your counterspell. Uh, and like I said, there's there's one of these filter lands for every color pair. Um, and the reason I like these is because uh, land land is my favorite card type. Um, it always has been. Um, I'm Can't not do much without it. It's true. It's true. I'm not entirely sure why, but every single set that comes out, I'm really excited to see what new lands they're going to come out with. Um, and... Uh, Shadowmore was the block after Lorwyn, which means it was the block after the block that I started playing. It was still part of that whole block, I guess. Um, but 
uh, I got excited by these lands because in Lorwyn and Morningtide they had they had a couple uh, dual lands where for the most part they come into play tapped, but if you revealed a certain creature type from your hand, you might be able to play it untapped. But that kind of forced you into playing a specific creature type if you wanted to play that land untapped and get one of two colors. Mystic Gate and the like, they don't come into play tapped. So you could potentially play Mystic Gate on turn two and have all the white and blue fixing that you need right from the get-go. And as a fledgling Magic player, I was able to see the power in that immediately. Um, and uh, Mystic Gate, I had uh, uh, once, uh, what was it, Shards of Alara came out? And Shards was in the same standard set as Lorwyn and, and Evan and Shadowmoor. Um, I built an Esper deck, and Esper deck included Mystic Gates, uh, and it included whatever the blue-black one was uh, that I can't think of off the top of my head. Um, but not the not the. Uh, I run it in my modern mill deck, and I can't think of it either. Yeah. But uh, because I had some Mystic Gates and I had some of the blue-black ones, I didn't have any of the white-black ones, though. Um, and this was before I realized that buying singles was a thing, which is actually a story for another time as well. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, these, these lands set off my, my love for lands, and uh, I, run, I run filter lands in all of my commander decks. Um, they're just a very strong and underplayed card, I think. I don't see too many people playing these, at the very least in Commander. I'm sure they see a lot of modern play and probably some legacy play, but I don't play legacy at all, and I played modern infrequently, so I don't see them a whole lot. But as far as Commander goes, I don't see these often, and I feel like people should be running them more than they actually are. So, 16 through 7, filter <laughs> lines. <laughs> and just like that... I'm caught up with everyone else from here on out. <laughs> Nailed it. Got it. Um, well, that brings me to the fourth uh, entry on my list. And um, it's funny, Schnell, you brought up your, your modern mill deck because number four on my list is the OG mill card, Millstone. Um, I don't have a ton to say about this card um, other than this was mill before mill was a thing. Um, it was kind of the... The intro to mill, it's it's an artifact for two generic land. Uh, you could tap two of whatever land you want and tap millstone to uh, take the top two cards from target player's library and put them into that player's graveyard. Um, the art is awesome, I think, on the original millstone because it literally looks like this hieroglyph millstone floating in space. Um <laughs> Kaja Folio is the artist. Uh, the flavor text was great, too, I thought. Um, more than one mage was driven insane by the sound of the millstone relentlessly grinding away. Um, just sounds badass. But it was just it was cool um, in the early stages of the game to be able to just force your opponent to, hey, guess what? Pitch two cards. Uh, well, I shouldn't say pitch. Uh, take the top two cards of your, gra- uh, of your library and put them in your graveyard. Um, mm-hmm. It was a fun way to see what you could force your opponents um, to have to get rid of and throw in the graveyard. Um, obviously, you know there is graveyard recursion and things like that. Um, but it was it was mill before blue became mill. It's it's the reason why making people turn cards from their library to their graveyard is called milling them. Exactly. Yes. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and hey, like I was talking about uh in the last episode this was back when artifacts were brown man so (laughs) (laughs) when an artifact was an artifact back in my day um but yeah so number four on my list millstone uh ton of fun to play with fun to kind of annoy people with cheap enough to do multiple times um also effective and you know like you said it's how mill got its name it's what started the whole thing um that blue is now known for um so yeah millstone number four chanel what about you uh it's funny that you should bring up mill after i talked about my mill deck and <laughs> my number four is hedron crab hey oh yeah hedron crab is the ambassador of milling in my opinion um <laughs> he has the business cards to prove it i i will maintain and you should know i will just put this out there i am a bad player in that i actively try to build bad decks that are fun and flavorful and if i can win with a bad deck that counts for a hundred wins with good cards (laughs) hedron crab hedron crab is a crab for one blue mana he has no power he's a zero two and he has landfall Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, target player puts the top three cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. This one made my list because up until uh, like I, I put this one in a deck, I never really tried to play competitive magic. I always tried to play fun, stupid magic with my friends. And that was around the time that I opened up my first, uh, my first game store. And people told me, like, hey... I want to play modern. Do you have a modern deck? And I go, no, I don't have a modern deck. I don't like modern seems too competitive. They're like, no, no, no. Modern's fun, blah, 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 but build, build modern. So I went, okay, fine. Modern is anything with a modern border. I'll start going through my collection. I'll see what I want to build. And I immediately went, you know what? I have Hedron Crabs. I'm going to build the mill deck. I'm going to just entirely try to destroy my opponent's deck and not care about what they have on the battlefield or in their hand and just go, you don't have a deck to play. You can't win. I win. Good game. And I built the Hedron Crab deck and to this day it is still my absolute favorite modern deck to play. I have tweaked it over the last like seven or eight years now. Maybe slightly less than that, but eh, about six years I think I've been working on this thing. And it's gotten to the point now where I will play it and like two rounds in those super competitive combo player uh, combo player decks, they will just go, well, you got rid of the only win mechanic I have. I scoop. And I just go, oh, don't scoop. Play it out. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, you got rid of the only way I can win. I'm like, yeah, you should have more ways to win. Mic drop. Ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, nerd. Take that, nerd. That's what you get for playing Amulet Titan and not saving your, you know, either amulets or titans. But anyway, so yeah, Hedron Crab, best crab ever, Crab Tribal, all nice. the way. Teej, what you got? All what right. 14 cards are we going to hear about? <laughs> I, no, from here on out, it's just one card. Okay. Um, I also, just it just dawned on me that you two are going uh, uh, 1 to 10, and I started from the bottom. So when you guys are saying my number four card is, I'm gonna say no, 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 my no. number six card is. Oh, true, yeah, but mine are in no particular order. You're oh, going from is, literally. Mine is the fourth card I'm talking about. No, I, I'm aware. It's just <laughs> it is I funny. Just, it was just something that I noticed. Hey, I'll meet That's you all, all at number five. I'll meet when you at we start five. over That's again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my number six card is 
Oblivion Ring. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. First printed in Lorwyn, the set that I started playing in. Uh, Oblivion Ring is an enchantment for two and a white, and it has two triggered abilities. Uh, The first one says, when Oblivion Ring comes into play, remove another target non-land permanent from the game. Its second ability is, whenever Oblivion Ring leaves play, return the removed card to play under its owner's control. And guess what, guys? I get to talk about artwork and flavor text. (gasps) Heyo! Yes, Oblivion Ring, uh, I believe, has Has had three different... (laughs) Yes, uh, has had three different artworks throughout its lifetime. Uh, But my favorite one uh, is the original one from Lorwyn. It uh, depicts a flamekin inside a circle of sugar, and I know that because the flavor text says a circle of sugar and a word of forbiddance. Uh, and both the flavor text and the art stood out to me. It's just a cool piece of art. Uh, but I'm also aware from, you know, reading books and having knowledge <laughs> and stuff that a circle of salt can be used for protection from magical spells or <laughs> to trap something. Uh, for some reason, the Kithkin used sugar, <laughs> um, not salt, but the principle remains the same. That flamekin is trapped inside a circle, and it is not getting out until that circle is broken. Um, also, a little bit of thanks to Jim Butcher. Uh, but <laughs> um, So the artwork is really, really cool. I love it. Uh, the artwork, by the way, by Wayne Englund, which all I did was click on his name to look at some of the cards... He apparently has done artwork for 117 different cards. Damn. However, just a quick scroll, at least one of those is a token, which is fine. And for some reason, they listed one card twice because it's in a different language. (laughs) But it's the same artwork. So I think the the search is off just a little bit. But nevertheless, (laughs) Wayne England, uh, I like his art. Everything that I've seen is pretty cool. Uh, But anyway, back to Oblivion Ring. In addition to the cool artwork... Um, I also threw it on this list because this was one of the first cards where I learned uh, that having these two different abilities uh, can actually lead to some cool interactions. Um, For example, if Oblivion Ring enters the battlefield and you target another thing to get exiled, if you can get rid of Oblivion Ring before that first trigger resolves, its second ability will go on the stack which attempts to return the exiled card to the battlefield. But since the card hasn't been exiled yet, it can't return anything. Once that ability resolves, the first ability is still on the stack, and it will permanently exile something. Uh, That is an interaction that I learned the hard way, and as soon as I figured that out and how it worked, I was able to use that against other people, uh, and I was, again, felt like a big man. Thought I was doing something tricky. <laughs> Here comes Teach. Uh, but it was a it was a cool rules interaction, um, and it was one of those that actually first, uh, uh, like like triggered like oh man, this was an interaction I never thought of before. I wonder what other cool interactions there are out there. Turns out there are millions of them. But learning more and more about these rules uh, is what led me down the road to wanting to become a judge. Um. And Oblivion Ring was that very first step into into wanting to learn more about the rules. Uh, 
it is a it is an extremely inefficient way to permanently exile something. I will admit that, <laughs> but that doesn't change the fact that the interaction is actually pretty cool. Uh, if you've never seen it before, and once you learn more about the rules and how all that works, it's a good stepping stone into learning about more cool interactions that you might not have thought of. It's also the reason why all future cards that do the same thing are worded differently, so you can't abuse it that way. Exactly. <laughs> other other Oblivion Ring type cards uh, uh, today, the the ability is condensed into one ability instead yes. of having it split into two different ones, uh, because the interaction isn't exactly that intuitive. So even though it works the way that it does because of the rules. Uh, some newer players kind of, you know, they got what you kids call the feel-bads because they <laughs> thought they were being cheated somehow. Yeah. Uh, even though they weren't. But it's not the... Even though it works the way it was intended to work, no one wanted Magic to be the game of I know the rules better than you and that's how I win because I can take advantage of these things. They want it to be a game of the cards should work the way you would think they work. So we're going to work on the wording of the cards... So it's really not that confusing after all. Nice. Next. All right. Uh, hey, we're all at number five together now. We um, are number five. I'm going to be list. doing number six this time. That's fine. You can <laughs> skip if you want. If you want to be that guy. Uh, number five on my list. Um, another classic. Uh, it's counter spell. Two blue <laughs> counter target spell. Uh, the original artwork uh, for this card um, by Mark Poole is just freaking great it looked it's like uh they just decided to pick out the most clown dressed wizard that they could from like the D D universe um this guy's got a collar that makes him look like uh i can't think of the dinosaur's name off the top of my head but the one that spits ink um you know on dilophosaur thank you dilophosaur he looks like a freaking dilophosaur with his collar um his shoulders have the same collar but they're cut to look like gears from a clock um but my favorite part is he's just got his hand up and there's like magic coming from his fingers and it's arcing and then it just fizzles on its way down (laughs) and he looks so he looks so sad um it's fantastic art it's a fantastic card whenever you're playing against someone who's running blue and they tell you to go and they've left two blue lands untapped that's when you go into panic mode and you're like, God damn it, is this guy messing with me or <laughs> is he holding a counterspell? Like, do I want to play this now or do I want to wait? Uh, do I want to try to bait him into playing a counterspell on this and then play something better after? Um, blue players give people nightmares by doing that. Um, yes. So that's my that's my favorite art. Uh, the, the Tempest art has the guy in the red, um, the red outfit with the red cap. Um looks like he's having a heart attack uh that's pretty great art uh, my other favorite though other than the original has to be um from fifth edition when they reprinted everything um and it's the it's a guy i don't know if he's green or if he's just like over a green cauldron or something that's reflecting green onto him um but he's got a spell fizzling right in front of him too and his hands are up and he's got a stupid little hat on and he just looks real sad too um <laughs> it's it's kind of like the uh the poster child for failure um but, like I said, super useful, um, priced well in terms of mana cost, and uh, just a classic card that has been around since the beginning and isn't going to go anywhere. So, my number five, Counterspell. What about you, Schnell? 
We're st- um, I will not skip to number six. <laughs> I will do this one. Um, I have, out of Innistrad, Curse of the Pierced Heart. This one made my list for a couple of reasons. A, in th- in theory and flavor and practice, I love, uh, I I love the curses. I thought the curses were a wonderful addition to the game. Uh, just enchanting players specifically to give them effects or punishments or curses. Uh, Curse of the Pierced Heart. I have played in standard. I have played in modern, and finally now other people have kind of acknowledged this card. Um, most often. Budget decks are red. For Modern, it's true. For Legacy, it's true. For Standard, it's not true right now, which is weird. But when I got into <laughs> Magic, I started with a red deck. Well, no, red is going nuts right now with Runaway Steamkin. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, what the hell is the other one? Um, Experimental Frenzy. Experimental Frenzy. What is this other one? Uh, Arclight, Arclight Phoenix is getting a lot of play. Uh, Risk Factor. Risk, Risk Factor. Factor. Yeah, that's Huge. the other one. Huge. Yeah. yeah, red is just going nuts right now. So this is like the one weird time in Magic where red is the most like sought-after color. But anyway, Curse of the Pierced Heart has started seeing play in modern decks for some of the red aggressive just burn lists that I have seen, which I am absolutely thrilled about because when I finally built my modern red, mono red, just modern burn, I ran into the problem that if I don't kill them by turn four, I go... Draw a card, shit, it's a land, play it, say go. Draw a card, damn it, it's not what I need, say go. So I started sideboarding in Curse of the Pierced Hearts in those matchups where, you know, if they gained a little bit of life or had like a blocker for one of my, you know, uh, goblins, that I was just put out of that, you know, threat range. So I added Curse of the Pierced Heart that even if I'm not doing direct damage to them, they're still on a clock. And my win percentage went up significantly just with, you know, those three or four or five extra points of damage that it would get out. And it's just a fantastic way of tweaking the game with a bad card to make your deck fantastic. Also, I love cursing people. Curses and traps. <laughs> just flavor-wise. Yeah, I do I like love that magic. Yeah, yeah, I like the curses too. <clears throat> So the art is kind of cool. It's a weird, like it's it's a guy apparently screaming at a heart on a chain, and I don't know if it's supposed to be like, I'm stabbing your heart now, and you're gonna feel the pain later, even though the dude's clearly dead if its heart is hanging on a hook chain. But that sounds like a Taking Back Sunday song. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> tripping on a hole in a chain, and I don't know. That's, oh, that's, or that's STP. what I was thinking. Yeah, that's that's exactly. I went I went STP with that. Uh, yeah, but it's may your veins weep, may your every may every vampire take notice. That's badass. Yeah, it's a it's a vampire tribe, the Stenison. It's a Stenison curse. But yeah, it's just goofy, not necessarily good by itself card, but enough interaction with it and enough like use out of it to make it valuable and you ut- like very u- uh utilized Innistrad was so badass decks. though with that whole they they had some really cool ideas that the, they got to play yeah. around with speak you know other cur- like curse of the wild hunt um oh you yeah know, just other stuff the whole werewolf and the, the transform um oh yeah uh, man Innistrad was so cool uh not to mention the lily planeswalker that i was lucky enough <laughs> to yep, pull Liliana out of my first Vail. box and then traded for something else and now i'm just like god damn it why don't i keep that? sad 
Yeah, now I'm real sad. I mean, I think Feels she bad, was. Man. I think she was a hundred right off the bat, and then I traded her for a bunch of other stuff, and then it was like, God damn it, that's the only one I've ever had. I kind of wish I still had it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'll get rid of it now. It'll go down, and I'll buy it back later. Oh wait, no, <laughs> it didn't. Shit. <laughs> Never mind. Nice. So that was that was my number fourteen. Teej, what do you got? <laughs> my, my number fourteen. Uh, my number five. <clears throat> is Sword of Feast and Famine. Ooh, oh, it's nice. a great card. It is a great card. So, a little history on these Sword of X and Y cycle. Uh, all the way back in the original Mirrodin block, uh, in Darksteel, they printed two cards. Sword of Light and Shadow, and Sword of Fire and Ice. Um, and these two cards, uh, along with the other three cards in the cycle... Um, they're equipments. They cast for three generic. You can equip for two. Um, all of them have equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has protection from two different colors. Uh, the two colors just happen to be enemy colors. And then in addition to all of that, each of these swords gives an ability that triggers whenever the creature deals combat damage to a player. Uh, you get two effects. Each effect is flavorful for whatever colors the sword protects you from. Uh, Darksteel gave us the first two cards in the cycle. We didn't complete the cycle until we went to return to Mirrodin. Um, and that's when they, they went back and completed the cycle. Scars of Mirrodin, Mirrodin Besieged, and New Phyrexia? New Phyrexia? Yes. You're, you're missing one. I'm missing one. You're missing one. In Unstable, Sword of Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> forgot about Sword of Dungeons and Dragons. You were correct. You were correct. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Good call. No, it's all right. Anyway, uh, why Sword of Feast and Famine? Um, as you might notice, I specifically picked out Feast and Famine instead of just giving you another cycle of cards. Um... I never opened a Sword of Body and Mind, but I did open two Swords of Feast and Famine. And when I opened my second Sword of Feast and Famine, it was at a draft, and I was super excited to play it, and it treated me really well. And then after the draft, I was hanging out with some people, and this kid wanted to look at my sword because he had he, he didn't have that one yet. But he had two swords of body and mind. And I said, tell you what, kid, I'll trade you this for one of your sword of body and mind. And the kid looked at me. Uh, he was he must have been like 13 or 14. He was he was younger than I was by a little bit. Um, but he obviously knew that sword of feast and famine was worth a lot more money than sword of body and mind was. And he was like, dude, are you sure? Because uh, do you want to look for more stuff in my trade binder for this? And I said, no, man. You've got a sword I want. I've got a sword you want. Let's just trade it up and up. And that kid was so happy that I did this. You and I was happy day. because I got the card that I was missing. Um, and I knew that I was losing out on this, but this was before I was really paying attention to card prices and all that stuff. Um, cause I was around the shop enough to, to watch people trade and some of them are sharks, man. Oh, yeah. Some of them, some of them like you need to give me exactly 
They'll fight uh, you down to the penny. What I'm looking for. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I was like, I feel like that shouldn't be how it works. When I very first started playing Magic, it was me and another buddy of mine, and we were both kind of started playing at the same time, and we did this stupid little system where I was like, oh, you've got an uncommon I want? I'll give you two commons. That seems fair. Oh, you've got a rare? I'll give you one unco- or two uncommons or one uncommon and two commons. That seems fair. And that's how we did our trades. Um, and the obviously uh, trading, you know, you need to get some sort of value off your trades. You don't want to rip people off, nor do you want to be ripped off. But in this situation, this kid needed this card. I needed one of his. I had no qualms of just trading him straight up for that. And the look on this guy's face after I did this, it was it was priceless. It, it made me feel good about myself. It made me feel good about uh, uh, what I did for this kid. And that always stuck with me. All of that being said, sort of Feast and Famine... Well, I should probably read the actual card. I didn't do that yet. <laughs> sort of Feast and Famine is arguably the best of the cycle anyway. Uh... Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has protection from black and from green. Whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, that player discards a card, which is okay, and you untap all lands you control, which is fantastic. Yep. Um, I collected, I now have in my possession all five of the swords, not counting Sword of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> And I have the the modern art, like the I don't have the dark steel arts of light and shadow and fire and ice. I have the modern masters arts, which are similar to the scars of Mirrodin arts, which just depicts the sword. Uh, each of the swords have two blades on them. Uh, sword of feast and famine's got like a greenish blade that's got some energy coming off it. That's the famine or the feast side, but the famine blade is dark. And it's got just sickly waves of, of shattery energy coming off of it. Uh, it's being held by by a native Mirren. And in the background, in the sky, you can see Mirrodin's green sun and Mirrodin's black sun. Um, and I think that art is really cool. And across all of the other artworks, they still have the two-bladed sword being held by uh, someone native to the plane and it's got the two suns that the colors represent in the background. It's just really done. I prefer most of the time original arts to the newer ones, but these sword arts, all five together, they're, they just paint a cool, they paint a cool picture. Um, look at me talking about art again. <laughs> Says the guy Never who didn't I'd care about see art. Day, right? <laughs> no, the art on these are really cool. They are. I, um, I totally agree. Those swords are awesome. Sword of Feast and Famine is my number five. Honorable mentions to all other four swords. I'm sorry, five swords. Thank Dungeons you. and Dragons. <laughs> Thank you for one including that one. <laughs> it is canon. Uh, it is canon. <laughs> what you got, Nelson? Um, okay, so my number six uh, is the first Planeswalker on my list. Um, so I had taken, you know, I mentioned this earlier, I had taken... Uh, decent sized break from the game um midway through high school and into college when i came back um other than the core sets uh that had started to come around one of the one of the sets that i played a lot of um that i enjoyed very much was zendikar and in my very first pack of zendikar that i purchased um i cracked a soren markov i still run him in 
vampire decks. I I, I love him. Uh, the art is just awesome. He's got like these soulless, colorless, just dead eyes, um, and just the way it's it's drawn from as if you're on the ground looking up at him and it's he's very imposing and he's kind of you know adjusting his bracers and uh the the art alone drew me to it um but what really you know made me fall in love um with this vampire planeswalker um his story but also so he's he's a little bit expensive which is to be expected from a awesome planeswalker um he's three generic mana and three black mana so he costs six mana total to bring out um but he comes out with four loyalty counters uh you can plus two him and he deals two damage to target creature or player and you gain two life so uh very vampire-esque um you can minus three him and your opponent's life total automatically becomes 10 um which is helpful in any number of ways uh if you're trying to bring an opponent who's at a very maybe they're playing a life gain deck and you're trying to uh dramatically decrease um their life that is is very helpful um but also if there's someone that you're trying to keep alive for whatever reason maybe you're politicking um and someone who can potentially help you is sitting at you know one two or three life um well guess what here i'll help you out a little bit so it's a very flexible ability um and then his ultimate is is pretty awesome um for minus seven you control target players next turn which um is very on flavor for a vampire and also extremely useful uh in a game like magic where you then get to see your opponent's hand and uh you kind of know what's coming at you in the future and you could potentially do what you can to try and um you know screw your opponent uh as well so that's my number six like i said first planeswalker on my list um as everybody knows by now i love me some vampires soren markov zendikar awesome card um Schnell. um i have for my next card glimpse the unthinkable <sighs> sorcery one blue one black Target player puts the top 10 cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. Uh, again, Mill, I believe, is viable in every format of the game. Whether or not that's true, I don't care. I'm going to try. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Glimpse the Unthinkable was was kind of a, uh, a white whale of a card that I needed for my very first modern deck. As I pointed out, it was a Mill deck. But when this card was still... Uh, before the Iconic Masters reprint, it was still like a $25 or $30 card, and nobody in the area had any that they were willing to sell or trade to me, and I'm not one for buying cards online. It's If I can't get it locally, I'll just build something else or work around it. So I ran uh, the split card... Uh, it one of, the, one of the halves of the split card is uh, black and a blue for eight, eight cards milled. Mm-hmm. And then the other half does something else. It didn't matter. I never used the other half. What's? Do you remember what set that was from? Uh, I'll look it up after I'm done talking. But it was just such a pain in the ass to finally get one that I ended up buying one from somebody, and it was just a super damaged copy. And I still paid him like 15 or 20 bucks for the damaged copy of it. But I needed it, and the mill deck started getting better um, just because... You know, it's only two extra cards, but one sixth, <laughs> one sixth of their deck 
not counting, you know, the hand and all the cards they've drawn since the beginning of the game. It's just a massive chunk gone from Glimpsey Unthinkable. Well, and it really helps when you're playing someone who doesn't have recursion. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, well, and, and my mill deck is tailored specifically to deal with recursion decks as well. I can exile graveyards when I need to, but more specifically, I will, like, hit, I'll mill them quick and early, hope to hit one of their, like, important pieces, and then surgically extract or extirpate and just get rid of it. Just totally throw get it ri- offline. Yeah. Get, get rid of it and all copies of it so that they can't win anymore if the deck needs those. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Um, yeah, I'm going to keep that one short and sweet. Mill 10 for two. Boom. Best, right. best mill. Go ahead. Best mill. Best mill. My number uh, four card is... Uh, Chanel, you're going to like this one. I like all magic cards. <laughs> uh, my number four card is Sharoon the Hegemon. Oh, yes. There you go. Yes. Sphinx. 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 Uh, Sharoom the Hegemon <laughs> is a legendary artifact sphinx. 5-5 uh, five, five flying for 3, a white, a blue, and a black. Uh, and when Sharoom comes into play, you may return target artifact card from your graveyard to play. Uh, Sharoom comes originally from Shards of Alara. Uh, she was found on the Esper Shard. Sharoom was my first attempt at an actual competitive EDH deck. Um, I One of the guys in my playgroup was... Uh, uh, he was... Uh, very long story short, he built a decks that people didn't necessarily like playing against. So when most of us are playing for fun, he's playing just to like super weirdly combo out and win. And... Uh, whereas one of my friends was like, I'm just never going to play with him anymore if that's how he's going to be, I decided to take on the challenge of, okay, I'm going to try to do something similar and beat you. And I came across Sharoom. This is, uh, this is another one of those rules interactions things that isn't, uh, extremely evident as soon as you think about it but the rules support this interaction i came across this thing while researching some stuff online it is possible once again shroom's ability when shroom comes into play return target artifact card from your graveyard to play and i found out it's possible to return shroom to the battlefield with her own ability and that's how i decided to build this commander deck Basically, the way it works is you have Shroom on the battlefield, you play some sort of clone effect, so you have two Shrooms on the battlefield, and this interaction worked before the before the legendary rule change, but I'm just going to talk about it with the current legendary rule, which is if you control two permanents, two legendary permanents with the same name, you have to choose one of them and put it in the graveyard. So if I have Sharoom on the battlefield and I play some sort of clone effect, uh, tar- uh, cloning Sharoom, the clone Sharoom's ability will get put on the stack, or uh, uh, will get triggered, but before it's put on the stack and targets need to be chosen, state-based actions are checked. State-based actions see that I have two Sharooms and I need to put one in my graveyard. So I'll put original Sharoom in my graveyard. 
Then the ability, uh, that's when the ability checks for targets and sees that Shroom is a target in the graveyard, and I can target Shroom and put Shroom on back onto the battlefield. Original Shroom will enter the battlefield. Her ability will trigger, but before it's put on the stack, I have two Shrooms again, need to put one in my graveyard. So I can put Original Shroom back into my graveyard. Then Original Shroom's ability will be put on the stack, see that she is in the graveyard, and I can bring her back right again. Basically, Shroom can enter and exit the battlefield as many times as I want. <laughs> uh, good players will pair this ability with something like Blood Artist, where every time something dies, uh, someone will lose a life and I will gain a life. I like that Or combo. they will gain a life. It's a great combo. It is. It's a combo I use in, in one of my EDH decks that I currently have. Not good players like me <laughs> will decide, yes, I see that, and I'm trying to build some sort of combo-tastic deck, but I also want to put my own spin on it and I still want every permanent that's not a land in my deck to be an artifact because this is an Esper deck and everything on Esper is an artifact. So I didn't have access to anything super powerful like Blood Artist. Um, I had just a couple other cards. Uh, uh, Glass Dust Hulk will get plus one plus one every time an artifact enters the battlefield and it's unblockable. <laughs> so I can one-shot one player. Um... Uh, there was another thing that gets a plus one plus one counter every time an artifact comes into play, and it has trample. I can one-shot one player. And there was a flyer that got plus one plus zero. I can one-shot one player. So the times I can pull off the combo, it was super cool, but it didn't happen often because I wasn't using efficient cards. <laughs> but nevertheless, it was really, really fun to pull off. I like that. Yeah, it, like was, that. it was pretty cool. Oh, Izzy. Uh, Shroom was, was illustrated by Izzy, which is a name I recognize because Izzy uh, drew a lot of cards that I was fans of. I just noticed that just now. <laughs> you, were, you were multiple fans I of. I was going to say, you were you liked it more than once. I did. I did. <laughs> uh, well, moving on, the next card, uh, what are we at? Seven here. Number seven on my list seven is... Seven for you. Uh, true. True. Um, it is it is another one of the uh, original of its kind. Uh, it is the original tutor. Number seven on my list is Demonic Tutor. Um, oh, yes. I love the original artwork on this. It's just one badass S&M looking demon just holding a book. Like, you know, he's here <laughs> to help you with your spelling words. Um, uh, <laughs> Douglas, Douglas Schuler, uh illustrated the original um i finally thanks to schnell got my hands on a revised copy of this card not too long ago um it's one of those cards that stupid expensive um not as bad as some of them but uh i mean it's what 45 50 card um on average yeah, now it is um, yeah and it's just a it's a card that's just great um in any format that you can use it in uh plus again who doesn't want that awesome art uh, for one generic and one black, um, it's a sorcery. Search your library for any card and take it into your hand. Reshuffle your library afterwards. So basically, it is the it is the fetch card you need. Um, for only two land, you get to go digging for whatever you want. So need one more piece to get your engine going. Um, need just one thing to finish the game. Uh, 
here's your help. You can go digging for it. You don't have to hope that you draw into your win con or, or anything like that. Um, it's an awesome, awesome, awesome card. It's probably a little overpowered um, for what it can do for you. Um, and it's super freaking cheap um, to land. So, yeah, number seven, Demonic Tutor. Hell of an awesome card. Um, and just incredible original artwork. Thank you, Douglas Schuler. Schnell. Um, for my next trick, I have Consecrated Sphinx. 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 Now, anyone who knows me knows I am obsessed with Sphinxes. In Magic, I collect Sphinxes. I have thousands of Sphinxes. My favorite EDH deck, and possibly my most blinged out, the most absurdly foiled deck I own, is Sphinxes. Consecrated Sphinxes, or Consecrated Sphinx, is probably one of two good sphinxes the other sphinxes range from weird to interesting to just bad and i don't care i play them anyway but i've always loved that sphinxes are just big badass powerful creatures they're they're almost always flyers there are a few there's one not flyer which pisses me off but the sphinx represents the whole it doesn't matter how powerful you are how intelligent are you it's can you solve my riddles to survive? Can you, you know, earn your way past versus just dumb muscling through? Can you solve but, the riddle on my card to figure out what the hell it is I do? Oh god, there are some there are some <laughs> great sphinxes that just wait, wait, hang on. How does that work? <laughs> you get to choose a card in my deck and then I have to guess it? What the <laughs> hell? It's absurd. But Consecrated Sphinx made the list because it's a good one. It's a real good one, especially in EDH. It is a 4-6 flyer for two blue, four colorless, four generic, sorry. Whenever an opponent draws a card, you may draw two cards. So this is just massive, massive card advantage, especially in EDH, where if you're playing you know, a four-player game, you say go, and by the time play comes back to you, you've drawn at least six new cards into your hand. It is all that knowledge. Well, yes, everyone immediately starts hating it off the board. True. Like all my other all my other sphinxes, people are like, that guy's dumb, that guy's weird. Consecrated hits the battlefield, and in my in my, you know, again, blinged out Sphinx EDH, I don't run the boring uh mirrored and besieged one. I took out the foil uh mirrored and besieged one, which is probably the most I've ever spent on a Sphinx, for the one that I traded for of the invocation. Ah, nice. nice. Yeah. So that one is, yeah, that one is just absurdly shiny, stupidly valuable because people like it, people play it, and I'm like, no, you guys don't understand it. The sphinxes are mine, and I need them. So consecrated sphinx. But it dies to removal. So oh god, yeah, I suppose, I suppose. If it dies to removal, it's not a good card. We've established that it's canon. (laughs) It's canon. You can just counter it. That's not even a good card. It doesn't die to Justice Strike, but I then hate again, people. I I do also hate people. But yes, <laughs> Consecrated Sphinx, get yours today. Get yours today. <laughs> blessed, right. blessed by the hands of Jin Gataxis. Uh, my number three card is going to go back before my time. Actually, here we go. All the way All back right. to Betrayers of Kamigawa. 
My number three card is Umazawa's Jite. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, Umazawa's Jite is a legendary artifact equipment for two mana. That's it. Just two mana. Any type you want. Uh, you can equip it to a creature for two mana. And whenever equipped creature deals combat damage, put two charge counters on the Jite. Not the creature, the Jite. Mm -hmm. Then you can remove a charge counter from uh, Umazawa's Jite to choose one of these options. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Or target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Or you gain two life. That's just absurd value right there. Yeah. Deal combat damage, get two counters. You can give your creature plus four, plus four, their creature minus two, minus two. You can gain life if you like gaining life. I never like to gain life. That's a terrible way to play magic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the reason this is on my list is uh, a couple years ago, we were at the uh, local board game convention, the Fire and Ice convention. And I had sat down and played a uh, uh, Cons of Tarkir draft. Uh, Fate Reforged, that's what it was, a Fate Reforged draft. And I did well enough in this draft to win, a, to win some prizes. I either came in second or first, I don't remember which one it was. But I had this running joke with, um, the, with the, uh, the tournament organizer there, uh, A1 Mr. Justin Schnell. Oh, hi. Uh, where um, I would always joke around that Schnell can't give me a pack of Fate Reforge without me opening a foil Ugin. Oh, God. But this day, I won this draft, and I opened these cards, and sure enough, I opened a foil Ugin, <laughs> which I thought was really cool, and I was really excited to show <laughs> Schnell. So I was on a, I was on a roll. Uh, I felt, uh, once again, felt like a big man. The prophecy had um, been fulfilled. Yeah, yeah. So this chaos draft was coming up, where you can come to the table with any three booster packs and and start drafting them. And this GTA was a card I was searching for for a long time. So I went, and one of the three packs I bought was a Betrayers of Kamigawa. Sure enough, that was the first one I opened, and there was the GTA just staring at me. It was a good day. I thought, you know what? If I don't do well in this draft. I'm okay, because I got my foil Ujin, I got this Jite, uh, I think I've used up all my luck for the day, <laughs> but I hadn't, Yeah. because uh, going on into this draft, Schnell decided that everyone playing the draft was going to get two random foil cards that they would be allowed to put in their decks to play with, because it's chaos, why not? One of the foil cards he gave me was a foil Sun Titan. Which, whenever it attacks or blocks, I can return a permanent of converted mana cost three or less from my graveyard to the battlefield. Which means if I play this GTA and someone gets rid of it, Sun Titan can just bring it right back. <laughs> mistakes, mistakes were made on my part, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> so I played this draft, and I won this draft. Uh, Red-white, played this GTA, most of it was weenies except for this Sun Titan which came into play quite often and brought back a lot of relevant stuff. It was a good day. And I got the I opened this card, didn't buy it, just opened this card that I've been looking for for a long time. I felt like a big man. I feel like I've been saying big man a lot today. 
Look at the big man. Talk about being a big man. Yeah, you, yeah you, man. you've earned it. You've earned it. I have. <laughs> We're in the home stretch here, guys. <laughs> okay, okay. What's next, Nelson? Finish strong. Uh, number eight, the second and the final Planeswalker on my list, Jace the Mind Sculptor. Uh, oh, you son of a bitch. From World Wake. Um, the artwork's badass. Uh, the abilities, this guy's a little cheaper than Soren, uh, but oh my god, he also has four abilities, and every single one of them is amazing. Uh, for two generic and uh, two blue, um, he comes onto the battlefield with uh, three loyalty counters. You can plus two him to look at the top card of target player's library. Uh, you may put that card on the bottom of that player's library. So you can scry yourself. You can scry an opponent. Um, whatever you want to do. Fate seal. Uh, for zero, you can draw three cards and then put two cards from your hand on top of your library in any order. So if you're looking to do some... Um, some stacking, some manipulation there uh, for a card jar or whatever else you have uh, planned up your sleeve. Um, you can do that and not have to remove any loyalty counters, uh, although you're also not adding any. Um, for minus one, return target creature to its owner's hand. So that's nice. You can help yourself if you have to or you know bounce an opponent's creature uh, from the battlefield back to their hand. Or his ultimate ability, if you get him all the way up to 12, you can minus 12 him to exile all cards from target player's library. Then that player shuffles his or her hand into his or her library. So um, if you can manage to pull that off in a commander game, um, that's pretty amazing. That could be a you know, 60, 70, 80 card swing, whatever. Um, and it's just amazing if you're playing, you know, uh, constructed format or something where you're playing uh, you know 60 card decks um, he's he's a badass card um, also I don't know how many people have had the experience of pulling a foil jace from a box but um, <laughs> the first the first masters 25 box that I bought from Chanel yeah. uh, I pulled a foil jace and the second masters box <laughs> masters 25 box that I bought from Chanel I pulled a regular jace um I will probably never buy another Masters product again because uh, I also bought an iconic Masters box from Schnell and that God had a foiled mana drain. So <laughs> all of my Masters luck has clearly run out. Um, but God, it feels good to pull a foiled Jace. I was shaking um, after I pulled that. <laughs> I was very, very happy um, to have a foily Jace. So yeah, number eight, Jace the Mind Sculptor. Uh, Schnell. Okay, before, before I go to my next one, I'm going to point out that for my my nephew and godson's birthday this past year oh yeah <laughs> uh, i gave i gave him i'm like i'm gonna give him some booster packs i'm gonna grab like two or three booster packs of each set that i have available because i didn't get him anything else and i was busy with running a store so i went okay fine so it was like two masters 25 two iconic two like this that and the other thing and i went here have some packs merry birthmas whatever <laughs> And then he goes in the other room, and I just hear him, like, get all excited. I'm like, did you get anything good? And he comes running back in with a foil Jace the Mind Sculptor. I'm like, that's it. I am done. I am not giving packs to people anymore. Because I open hot hot garbage every single time I open a pack for me. Uh, well, Every single time. Your nephew and I... With one uh, exception. You. With one exception. What'd you get? Every uh, The very first pack I opened of M19, I got a foil Nicol Bolas. Oh, nice. nice. I, that was great. Everything else <laughs> in the last year that I've opened for me has been has been just trash. 
I pulled. Like, I don't know why I tried two regular bolus, um, yeah. but I did not pull. I don't think I pulled any decent foils uh, from M nineteen. Not that yeah. I needed to, but <laughs> so uh, without further interruption, uh, <laughs> we that we now come to the best card on my list because I'm going to clarify that it's not just the card; it is the foil version of this card that I currently hold in my hand, and no, that of course is foil. No, what? We have two cards left, right? Yes. Yeah. And you're gonna blow your load on this one? Yeah. All right. Because it's it's random. Okay, he shuffled them all up. I did. That's right, he did. I forgot about that part. All yep. right, sorry I interrupted. Yeah, no, no. Uh, foil Anthroplasm. Yes. <laughs> uh, out of uh, Urza's Legacy, Anthroplasm is a 0-0 creature for two blue and two generic. It is a sh- it summons shapeshifter. Uh, Anthroplasm comes into play with two plus one plus one counters on it so he's technically a two two for four he has the ability pay x tap him remove all plus one plus one counters from anthroplasm and put x plus one plus one counters on and uh, put uh, x plus one plus one counters on it so he's a two two for four that you can pump as much mana into as you want and he just keeps changing how big he is he's not very good but it's it's another ron spencer card and if you haven't seen the art, Google yeah, it. Yeah, you gotta immediately. look it up. It's so good. It is a. It is. I will start. I'll use the word dude. It's a dude on his knees, <laughs> and his torso goes back to the right and then behind himself, and his his uh, chest opens up into his mouth. For in, instead of oh, a left eye, instead of a left eye, he has another face. <laughs> Instead of a right hand, he has another person. <laughs> his true. left his left arm has an eye on it, and what could be a mouth that's vomiting an arm of sorts. It is just so it's so ridiculous and gross and well done. It's just the, awesome. again it's that Ron Spencer like, I'm gonna go into absurd detail on everything. And then if it wasn't for like like okay, it's a cool mechanic it's fantastic art you get to the flavor text of this masterpiece (laughs) and the flavor text is i never metamorphosis i didn't like (laughs) it's so awesome it is just all around the best and i have a foil one and this is it will always if anyone ever forces me to go hey what do you think the best card in magic is i'm like you're an idiot if you don't answer anthroplasm (laughs) specifically foiled (laughs) <laughs> foil I, anthroplasm gorgeous art ridiculously awesome flavor text neat ability <laughs> neat ability i've never seen this card before but i looked it up you are absolutely right on everything you said <laughs> it is awesome <laughs> instead of a left eye he has another face <laughs> like that's so good oh it's so fantastic and i'm pretty sure i've had this foil since it was new this was one of my like few original magic collection cards that i still just happen to have it's a hell of one to hang on to oh yeah nice my turn yeah yeah i'm i'm he's just (laughs) admiring i'm 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 toweling off right now so you (laughs) you go ahead clean up all right uh My number two card is Rith the Awakener. Yes, that's a good card. Yes. Very good card. Rith the Awakener is a 6-6 Dragon Legend 
Uh, from Invasion, uh, for three, a red, a green, and a white. There was a cycle of these invasion dragons that come in uh, five of them in, in different color pairings. They are pairings, trios. We would uh, today refer to them as the shard Shards. trios. Yeah. They're all 6-6, six, six, they're all flying, and they all have a similar ability. When they deal combat damage to a player, you may pay two and a color. And if you do, you get to do something. In Rith's case, uh, whenever she deals combat damage to a player, you may pay two and a green. If you do, choose a color. Put a 1-1 green sapperling creature token into play for each permanent of that color. That's just not permanence you control. That's permanence on the battlefield of that color. Uh, Rith the Awakener is the uh, commander to one of my EDH decks. Um, as I think I mentioned last week, all of my EDH decks are commanded by dragons. Um, and Rith is the first dragon EDH deck that I built. Uh, it's it's just your average token deck. Um, she puts tokens out, other cards in the deck put tokens out, uh, card support tokens, blah blah blah. Nothing terribly exciting, but... I threw this on the list because um, at the time when I decided that I was going to make all of my commanders dragons, I had already built this Rith the Awakener deck. Um, so she was the first dragon before I even decided I wanted to do the dragon thing. And she's been with me ever since. Uh, every single set, I look to see what I can put into Rith specifically. Not all the other ones, but Rith was the first, like, the first one like my she's my baby i love this deck uh not the best deck that i own but the most fun to play in my opinion um and i always get excited when new things come out and i get to add them to the deck uh so with the awakener that story was pretty short and sweet uh but she deserves the number two slot on my list yeah but don't we each have two cards left i do i have two left Tiege went through 45, so if he uh, missed yeah, one or did an extra one... one. Well, oh, you did chunks one. of, like, f 14 and 15 cards at a time. I did that two times. Ah, uh, whatever. <laughs> so, are you done with uh, Rith? Or did I cut you off? Uh, no, I was done with Rith. That, yeah, that was my second one. I only have one card left. Oh, okay. No, weird. Yeah, no, whatever. I got two. Oh! Alright, then. Alright, so, number nine on my list. Uh, this is gonna be short and sweet. Um, oh, another Mark Pool, uh, going way back into the uh, the beginnings of Magic here. Ancestral Recall. It's a blue card. It costs one blue mana to draw three cards or force your opponent to draw three cards. Uh, Mark Pool nailed it again. This time, um, you're not getting the side view of the guy's face. You're getting a you know the 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 full face here. Um, I don't really know if there's something in this temple behind him that's really. Uh, is it calling him back home? I don't. I don't really know what's going on exactly in the art. It's just awesome art, and it's crazy overpowered for one blue land. Um, it's stupid. There's a reason it's worth a shit ton of money, um, and there's a reason that people play it to this day. It, it's a fantastic card. Um, don't really need to say much more about it. Ancestor Recall number nine on my list. But you don't own one. Uh, no, God, no. I <laughs> I wish I did, but I think if I ah, bought okay. one and my wife found out what I spent on it, that uh, I might not have a wife any longer. 
It's fair. It's fair. Oh. And for right now, I'm digging the whole marriage thing. So you know. <laughs> yeah, wives are cool, but do you, have you ever had Power Nine? Yeah, right. Wives are great, but have you ever held an ancestral recall that was your own? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, with my second to last card in my pile here, it looks like we're going back to Sphinxes. Uh, I've got Magister Sphinx here. Yes. A 5-5 five, five, five for 7. Uh, one black, one blue, one white, and four generic. It is a flyer. And I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on the abilities for a second here to interrupt with a story. This one made the list because in my Sphinx EDH deck, I had a I had a game where I got to ask my opponent. I go, hey, what's your life total? And then he told me, and it was like 38 or something. And I go, uh, no, it's 10. And I cast Magister Sphinx. When Magister Sphinx comes into play, target player's life total becomes 10. So I set him down to 10, and he was just immediately in panic mode. The very next round, I asked the next opponent in line, because I hadn't killed off the first one yet, but I set him down to 10. And I go, hey, uh, what's your life total at? And he goes, oh, uh, I'm I'm at 20-something. And I go, no. And I sacrifice Magister Sphinx to one of my artifacts. I cast my general, Sharum, and I brought back Magister Sphinx and set his life total to 10. (laughs) And then, again, I didn't want to kill anyone yet. Because I, I, you know, Sphinxes is just a bunch of big, dumb flyers. I could have swung for lethal, but I waited. Because I had a way. I, on the next turn, I I asked the last opponent, I'm like, okay, what's your life total? And he gave me a number that wasn't 10. And I go, why does everyone get this question wrong? (laughs) And I managed to bounce Magister Sphinx and reset his life to 10. And then I swung for lethal damage on all of them. Nice. <laughs> so now anytime I go, hey, what's your life total? And they're like, is it is it 10? And I go, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> you got that right. So he made my list because he's one of my favorite sphinxes to play. Just because, again, most sphinxes, that sphinx deck is a like thinly veiled literacy program with how much <laughs> stupid reading you have to do. Magister Sphinx is just easy and dumb and he resets the game i don't care how much life your life your white deck you know with all your clerics and you know soul sisters or whatever gained you were at 10 life and i'm swinging at you with eight five five flyers good luck sphinx 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 so Tej, are you out of cards now or are you one left i've got one left i okay. figured out what happened okay uh it, it happened all the way back in uh warp world hive mind Ah. Those were two separate cards I talked about at once. Ah, that's, that's it. That's true. Yeah, that's so okay. So but it's okay. Wait, so I'll finish this out. And then Ryan and Nelson, or Ryan and Nelson, Ryan and Schnell, they'll end the game. By game, I mean program. <laughs> My number one card <clears throat> uh, has a story that goes with it before I reveal what it is. And this goes all the way back to uh, what we were talking about last week, about when I very first got into magic. And I went to the went to the store and I was like, hey, can I hide behind the shelf and spy on your patrons and write about them in my notebook? <laughs> and he was like, you should go to this game convention instead. That's in a week. So I spent the entire week learning how to play magic. I was researching cards, uh, card types, how they work and all that stuff. And I thought I had a pretty good grasp of the rules. 
Um, I might have picked up a starter pack, you know, to look at some cards before going to this thing. Uh, but I go to the convention and I sit down for my for a draft. The very first draft I ever did got passed out three booster car, uh, three booster packs, and I opened my very first booster of Magic ever. Like I said, I looked at all the cards, looked at all the card types, looked at what a card looks like. I should know what all of these things do. Then I opened this card that I had never seen before. Um, since it looked different than every single card in the pack, uh, in the pack, I knew that there was something special about it. I just didn't know how it worked. So I took the card, and after I went through the entire game of drafting everything blue that I saw, <laughs> I took all my cards and I went to the guy from the store. What was it? what did we decide his name was? Jed. 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 Yes, I went up to Jed and I said, "Hey, Jed." What does this card do? I don't get it. And I hand him my number one card, Jace Bellerin. Oh, nice. Nice. Uh, and he explained to me that it was a planeswalker, and he told me how planeswalkers worked. Because in my week of research, I had n- nothing ever came up about this planeswalker. Uh, I didn't know how planeswalker cards worked. Uh, but Jace is a planeswalker, one and two blue. Jace enters with three loyalty. His plus two, each player draws a card. His minus one, target player draws a card. And minus ten, target player puts the top 20 cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. (laughs) This is the original Jace. This is uh, uh, one of the Lorwyn Five, one of the original Planeswalkers ever. My favorite music group, the Lorwyn Five. (laughs) The Lorwyn Five. Five. Straight from Motown. This, This... original artwork is badass too it is now that i'm looking at it oh it's so cool it is cool not like stupid emo jace <laughs> oh he's yeah, standing that. here in his in his dark and uh his brooding cloak and his hand is lighting blue and, and but his face is almost hidden uh he looks like a badass he doesn't look like a whiny bitch he just looks like a badass you don't want to cross this guy um Further on through through Magic, uh, I opened up another another Jace, um, but then they they started uh, doing Planeswalker books, and the first book they put out was the Jace book. And if you buy the hardcover Jace book, it comes with a special edition Jace card, different artwork, but it's the same Jace Belarin card. Uh, today that card is worth I see here ninety one dollars. I still have that card. Nice. Um, they also came out with uh, uh, what was the other one? Dual decks. They had a Jace versus Chandra Jewel. Ah, oh, they deck, did. Which was a third artwork of Jace Balaran. And then they came out with like uh, anime inspired Jace versus Chandra Dual deck. And I wanted to get that set so bad because then I would have. Four different artworks of Jace Balaran, and I wanted to put them all in a deck. I was going to say, there's your playset. <laughs> exactly, there's my play. I never got a hold of that anime one, though. And I was always bummed about that. If it makes um, you feel better for Christmas this year, I'll get you a Jace Memory Adept. <laughs> oh, with that awful, with that awful, <laughs> awful anime hair. <laughs> uh, spiky black hair. Emo Jace Jesus. with his, uh. with his guy liner. I hate that so much. No. 
Nothing. Uh, uh, Mime Sculptor, that art's pretty badass, too. I'll be honest. It is. Um, but in my opinion, the original Jace Balaran artwork is the best Jace Balaran artwork. Agreed. And Jace Balaran itself is a decent card. It's not the best Jace ever printed, but it's definitely better than most of the other ones. Um, all around a good card. I mean, first booster pack I ever opened, I got this card. That's awesome. And it was in a draft. There was no guarantee that I was going to be able to keep it if I was stupid and just took something else. But I had enough foresight to realize that it looked different with those loyalty abilities than any card I've ever seen. I should probably take it just in case. Smart move, Blue Teach. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So I opened that Jace, and guess what I felt like? A big man. <laughs> <laughs> big guy, big yeah. man over here. Big man. That's my number one card, Jace Balaran. Nice. Uh, the, the last card on my list is uh i I'll, I'll give it away without saying what it is it is the commander staple um it's an artifact it costs one generic soul mana ring. it is soul ring uh add two colorless mana to your mana pool if we're looking at the original tapping this artifact can be played as an interrupt uh mark tedden mark teden i'm not sure how you pronounce his last name um uh, it's just it's really cool because it's like the basically it looks like the ground is I, I don't know if it's lava or flame or what and then there's this flaming circle floor um, is lava. in the floors lava guys uh, in the air above <laughs> it um, it's just it's awesome art but also it's one of my favorite um, and I think one of the most functional cards um, in magic um, nothing feels better than starting off a game of commander with a turn one soul ring I don't I don't care who you are nobody's going to turn that down um i mean you throw that thing out on turn one and you're already working with uh you know well you've spent one land but in turn two you're working with three to four land um which puts you way ahead gets your ramp started and it's just if if you're not casting a two drop artifact with that soul ring you're not doing it right it's true got that right um (laughs) yeah so soul ring that's the last card on my list like i said none of these are in any particular order uh some of them are great cards ancestral recall soul ring uh jace the mind sculptor some of them are there more for nostalgia uh sanger vampire royal assassin but uh yeah last card on my list soul ring it's a staple in basically any format but specifically commander uh it's a fantastic card and 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 that's it i'm 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 spent on to you Schnell. nice you're tapped out i'm all tapped out Oh. There you go. There you go. Uh, the last card on my list is one that probably has the most sentimental value for me. Uh, it is Pestilence out of Urza's Saga. Uh, I know it was printed before Urza's Saga, but this was my first interaction with it because Urza's Saga was a was one of the first sets that came out after I like got into the game and started figuring it out. It is two black and two generic for an enchantment. Says at the end of the turn, if there are no creatures in play, sacrifice pestilence. Otherwise, you can pay one black and deal one damage to each creature and player. So you can pay as much black mana as you want and just start wiping the board. I absolutely love this card. It was in one of the first starter decks that I ever bought myself. It was a uh, it was black and it had artifacts in it. It was mostly uh, some sweet zombies and skeleton stuff. And the point of the deck was you get out Pestilence and 
you start like killing the board or you kill everything and regenerate your own guys or if you got urza's armor out oh, uh, urza's, urza's armor, armor reduces reduces all damage you take by one so no matter how many times you activate pestilence you never take any damage and the reason why it's so uh sentimental was one of the first like i was taught how to play by my brother-in-law but other than that i didn't really have any other friends to play with so i would play with my dad i got i i gave him one of my decks and then i bought this deck and we play against each other and having lost my father at the beginning of the last year it was absolutely heartbreaking when I found this card, and it's just like, oh yeah. When we played, he would always jokingly accuse me of cheating. <laughs> Every single time, it was pestilence. Okay, I cast Urza's armor. Now I'm going to start pinging you for damage. I don't take any. Well, why don't you take any? The card says each player. I'm like, no, but this one says no. That's that can't be how that works. That's he's just like <laughs> pretend to get really upset with me, and I'm just like, no, I swear, I'm just I'm doing really good. I'm not cheating. <laughs> I'm just better than you, Dad. I'm just... Yeah, jeez, Dad. Lay off. Your lands are tapped wrong anyway. I don't know why you're mad at me. <laughs> get good, bro. Get get good, scrub. And then he would start beating me. Because <laughs> he was your dad. You didn't even play a two-mana artifact off that solar ring, Dad. What's wrong with you? Pestilence is one of those cards, too, where the original artwork with that creepy old guy, like, foaming at the mouth, I mean... Yeah, that was, yeah. That, the original Pestilence artwork was badass, too. Yeah, um, well, and then I, I love, uh, was it Time Spiral that had Pyrohemia? Oh, yeah. When they, when they did that, and they did, like, the color-shifted reprints of things, so we got, instead of Blastoderm, we got Calciderm, and instead of Pestilence, we had Pyrohemia. That's right. And just all of the neat color-shifted, like, versions of these classic cards that we loved. Yeah. Oh, that was a fun set, too. But, yeah, Pestilence will always have that, like, little nostalgia of sitting on my living room floor with my dad playing magic as a child so that's an awesome and getting story. accused of and getting accused of cheating constantly <laughs> i mean what else our dad's gonna do yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, what, it's what we have him for exactly um all right uh before we wrap up does anybody have any honorable mentions or anything else they'd like to like to list uh, i had uh, one but i forgot what it was i'm i'm spent that's my list is my list, and I'm sticking to it until the next time we make a list, <laughs> when it's probably going to change. Uh, cool. So that wraps up this week's episode. Then, um, hopefully, we included you know some favorites of our listeners as well. Um, and chances are we didn't, and we left off everything that you like because that's just the way this shit works. And you're probably you know fuming about it right now. So if that's the case, uh, let us know in the comments on our Facebook page. Uh, or again, shoot us an email, homebrewmagicmke at gmail.com. Uh, we get enough list data uh, from listeners, um, you know, in some format or another. Uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun to kind of compile them and talk about, you know, in a future episode, talk about what, what you guys um, think should make a list like this or just what your personal top 10 is. Uh, it's a fun way to connect and just a cool way to think uh, or, or to learn how other people think um, when they're you know, coming up with a list like this, uh, while you, while you make your list, make sure you tell your friends, uh, that they can find us on iTunes, Google play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and please, uh, make sure that you and your friends rate review and subscribe. Uh, and Hey, you know what? Come back next week. Uh, we are going to be talking about the different play formats of magic, what we think makes them good or bad and, uh, which formats we prefer over others. Um, 
because some are awesome and some suck and some I just suck at because drafting is not my thing. (laughs) And I'm going to throw this out there as a spoiler and you can put it wherever you want in your column. Rainbow stairwell. Oh, good format. It's a great format. It is. Damn it. I gave it away. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, uh, that's it for this week. Um, Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll catch you in a week.